Greetings. <clears throat> Greetings, my dear fellow Republic Broadcasting Network listeners. Today is the 11th day of February in the year of our Lord Jesus the Christ, 2024, or maybe more. And uh, we're having some beautiful sunshine here today, so I, I don't know what to do with myself because it's been cloudy now for days. So, <laughs> But um, I noticed on RBN they have a special that sounds really interesting. Uh, it's Hemp Paste Chocolate Coffee and Cocoa Sale, a Balance Day Sale, um, 50% off. So please go to uh, republicbroadcasting.org if you can help push that donate button or send in something or, um, you know, especially use our sponsors. And um, now the quilt's gone, so we won't be talking about that anymore. I bet somebody's enjoying it. <laughs> okay, so it goes to, uh, the sale goes to uh, uh, Valentine's Day, ends on February 14th, midnight. That's Mountain Standard Time. Okay. Ooh, Girardelli, hot cocoa, original and peppermint flavor, and regular and Hawaiian hemp coffees. Wow. It's uh, the special uh, sale is exclusive only to all can't, uh, chocolate bars, hemp hot cocoa, and hemp coffee. The sale does not include all special bundles. Hemp paste, can of sleep, SOS meals, can of chocolate cases, happy packets, or hemp cream. And to receive 50% off your order, use coupon code, capital letters, L-O-V-E 24, love 24. And so um, last week I didn't mention Joe Rizzoli had passed. That's Jim Rizzoli's identical twin brother. And I think he was 70 and he lived in Massachusetts Jim and Diane tried to get him to come to Texas uh, where the weather was better. But he had been jaundiced a few months ago. And it, I have to say it's, uh, you know, it was the medical system doing what they usually do, unfortunately. And he really needed pain medication towards the end there. And they... Finally gave them, you know, they're so crazy about it after they had the addiction thing with, uh, with, uh, you know, the different products that they're not using it for what it needs to be used for. But he did have hospice care that was very good. And his daughter and son-in-law were angels and came and, and, uh, cleaned up all the house. They have, I guess, a kind of big house there, Jim and Joe, but Jim is now in Texas. So, um. That's how that goes. But I found it interesting. Um, I think it's the first clip, Sam, if you want to get that ready. This is Joe with another fellow, and they're at, at the elementary school. And it's about there are only two genders. And it was so cute to watch because the um, a lot of the little boys, uh, as soon as they had a chance, ran over to get selfies with them. And we're talking about their experiences, you know with this transgender stuff and talking to one, he said, I'm a boy talking to a girl and she's, I'm a boy. So it's just more confusion that we really don't need. 
So, Sam, if you want to play that, we'll hear a little bit of Joe's voice here. Don't even know that they've been brainwashed. It makes them happy. Yeah, it makes them happy. It makes them happy to cut their balls off, you know? No, it doesn't. It's the leading cause of suicide among gays. So now, my friend Joe, it's time I film Joe. Here, hold hold this one. I'll get Joe and, you know, uh, Joe Rizzoli's been an activist for many years, his entire life. And he's known me for years. We've had sharp disagreements, arguments, but the one thing that we agree on is the protection of children. And it's forcing the schools not to be involved in political speech. So, Joe, what do you think, man? Well, I think uh, what they're doing is wrong. You know, it has to be, has to be stopped. You know, it can't keep going on like this. How do you stop it? You got, you got, you got to vote people out of office. You got to complain. You got to. You can't shut up. Right. That's the problem. You just can't shut up. You know? They took away our power. Yeah. They took away the parents' power, right. and they put it into the hands of a few people with an agenda that are one of these people on the school board, you said, I think were... Well, in Framingham, uh, one of the people on the school board is a gay, and one of the people on the city council is gay, and the library trustee is gay, one of the people. So which got, explains the flag right is, over yeah, there. Which would explain the flag over there, because once they come into office, then they start manipulating things, and, you know, and then they change things. Right. It's like the Budweiser thing. They got a girl, a guy that transgender in there probably for years working there, maybe a year. Dylan Mulvaney, right. And then they put put their gender in, oh yeah, okay, and then they do it. And then they backlashed. Budweiser tanked. And you know, if the the parents weren't afraid, then they would be out here with me. Who are the parents afraid of? That's what I want to know. Who are the parents absolutely afraid of? Why, why would they allow this, you know? This is not higher education. This is dumbing our children down to think that the way that they were created, which was beautiful, is something that they should be ashamed of, and it's really sad. I'd say we're good to go. Yeah, me too. All right. We'll just keep walking and talking. Even the police left. Right. They, they we're not a threat. They knew. They, how did they kick you off the sidewalk last time? Uh, the principal tried to kick me off the sidewalk. But did, did they do it? Huh? Did, did they do it? Well, no. Every time the principal tried to kick me off the sidewalk, I'm like, you can't make me leave here, you know? But... Uh, I think it worked out good. Right. I think it worked out good. Without a doubt. So that was it, I guess. They have posters that shows uh, two genders. There are only two genders, and it has the symbol for a woman and for a man. And um, like I said, the, some of the little boys, they were really, really cute. And at one point, he, uh, the other fellow, I guess, said, well, it's your future. <laughs> Giving them the future. So... um we also had another passing of one of our elders, and that was John Kaminsky. And apparently he passed in his sleep on the 5th of February. And um, 
So he was an amazing writer, and you can just put his name in, and I think it's .org, and find his writings, and he did so many good things. And rather than, I would rather have it in his voice, but rather than read some of his writings, which are, I, I think January something was his last one he had written, so he was busy up to the minute there. So Sam, if you want to get number two ready, uh, this is Goyam TV, and I really wanted to find one with John reading this himself, because this has been passed around now for years, and it's called The Hitler Test. And, oh, go ahead. The Hitler Test is the same as the 9-11 Test. The same as the Iraq test, the Afghanistan test, the Libya test, the Syria test. The same as the domestic terrorist test, the anybody can be president test, the your vote counts test, the government is on your side test. If you believe what the government says, you're part of the problem. If you believe what big media tells you, well, then you're just an idiot, incapable of discernment and a total failure at critical thinking. There's a reason I keep saying 90% of the opposition to Jewish America's pathological practices are false. Such popular opposition commentators as Jim Stone, Alex Jones, Mike Rivero, Ryan Dawson, Chris Hedges, Dave Hodges, Mike Adams, to name only a few. They all fail the Hitler test. They all fall for the Jewish propaganda that Hitlerian is the worst adjective you can apply to any person, any program, any social movement. They and hundreds of others have all fallen for the popular media lie that World War II was the good war, when in reality it was, at the time, the biggest lie ever told. Whether these writers are merely naive or totally corrupt and paid off is for you to decide. In either case, they pretend not to know that Adolf Hitler has been vilified in perpetuity by Jewish media to cover up some very important facts that are critical to your continued survival. These facts have been concealed for more than a half century. Objective facts prove that Holocaust hysteria is a cynical hoax, meant to create new ways of scamming the public, $13.5 billion in Holocaust reparations, at last count, plus laws in almost all European countries mandating jail for anybody who wishes to even discuss the matter. The two main facts that have been covered up are these. Germany was destroyed in the 1940s because it was the most serious threat to Jewish worldwide financial hegemony the world has ever seen. While the rest of the world was mired in a Jewish-imposed worldwide depression and people were starving in the streets everywhere, including the United States Germany under Adolf Hitler was thriving, because it had freed itself from the shackles of the international bankers and their devastating criminal formula of fractional reserve lending, which is the exact thing that is strangling societies all over the world today. And the second most important fact that has been covered up is that all the ceaseless and maudlin hoopla about six million Jews gassed and burned in German concentration camps obscures the real mass murder crime by Jewish allies America, Britain, and the Soviet Union, who terminated with extreme prejudice 12 million innocent German citizens, most of them after the war had supposedly ended. 
So the most important lessons to be learned from this massive cover-up and social engineering program concocted and reinforced ad nauseum by Jewish media hypocrites is that anybody who escapes the toxic tentacles of the kosher world bankers guarantees themselves financial independence and domestic harmony, but runs the risk of being annihilated by the criminals who control the world financial system. Which is why I'm fond of saying your choices under this current system of government are either life in prison or instant death. Do not try to sugarcoat this. This is what everyone in the world is facing right now. This unceasing drivel about Jewish Holocaust victims is best counterbalanced by reading the Thomas Goodrich book, Hellstorm, which details in the goriest of detail what the Americans, Brits, and Russians did to innocent German civilians after World War II had ended. Pay close attention to the horrific details, because these things are about to happen in the United States and elsewhere to most of you. This is what the future has in store for you, for not really paying attention, for believing Jewish media lies, for concentrating on your toys and your highly paying jobs, and refusing to see where these lies were taking us. Have taken us. Maintaining the slander. Even after two decades of false flag atrocities, Waco, Ruby Ridge, Oklahoma City, WTC 1 and 2, and the string of phony wars that followed, a majority of the American people still believes what it hears on TV, which is why the recent string of choreographed faux massacres has failed to stir the population to revolt even as it is being slowly exterminated by an endless panoply of malicious methods. Even as consciousness of our government's criminal nature has grown in the minds of many thanks to the internet still only a precious few are willing to recognize the nature of the disease that has turned the country into a terminal cancer patient, even though the sickness has been present since the founding of the republic. Most people especially the younger generations have no clue that Holocaust hysteria didn't really get going until after the JFK assassination in 1963, although the rabid hate crimes against the German people have been conducted by American Jews throughout the 20th century, principally in the creation of the Federal Reserve which started World War I, and also the worldwide declaration of war against the Germans by the Jews in 1933. One of the bizarre aspects of this unceasing kosher propaganda blitz is that the Jews have been using this 6 million dead figure since well before World War II. Not only has the credibility of this tale been demolished in the minds of attentive observers, the shibboleth serves as a telling indicator that the tale, and the cynical public relations onslaught that has followed, have sickened the entire world with its maudlin falsehoods like dead Jews made into soap and lampshades and thrown into lakes of fire. None of these stories can be proved, but many people still believe them. So. The point being that anybody using Hitlerian as a relevant adjective to describe some incomprehensibly dastardly deed is actually revealing to the world that their minds are clogged with demented Jewish fairy tales, nightmare sagas concocted by sobbing hypocrites like Elie Wiesel whose works have been disseminated throughout the world only because rich Jews control of the publishing industry, the TV networks, most governments, and the Nobel Prize nominating committee. People from Putin to Obama are still reinforcing this false stereotype. But the story didn't happen that way. That's just the way the Jews told that story, and because of their control of the media, that's what most of the world now believes. Hitler never wanted to take over the world like the Jews say he did. He only wanted to reclaim what was stolen from Germany in World War I. There were no gas chambers in the work camps. 
most of those who died were Poles and other ethnic groups. And that number is nothing in comparison to the number of people murdered by the three Jewish allies the Soviets and Brits and the United States who sought to stamp out the biggest threat to Jewish worldwide financial hegemony ever seen. So all those writers who use Hitler as an example of the greatest arch-villain of all time are merely displaying their own brainwashing, or their own contemptible corruption, to all who have eyes to see. And now we see this process repeating itself endlessly in the killings of Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi, two leaders who were put in power by the world financial ogre, but who tried to break away and do what was best for their people, only to be obliterated by the same Jewish monster that is now obliterating us. Solzhenitsyn's words. Today we are experiencing unprecedented encroachments on our personal freedom. The TSA has announced it will demand our tax information if we wish to fly on an airplane. The police have usurped the right to enter our homes if we have been determined to be politically incorrect. Our children are poisoned from birth by vaccinations proven to cause permanent brain damage. And still most people deny that America has become a snake eating its own tail, driven all the while by Jewish interests who have no interest in working for the public good, but only in fleecing victims their rabbis have labeled as barnyard animals, or, as Menachem Begin once famously said, beasts walking on two legs. More and more people have begun to figure out that the same monster that devoured the Russian people when the Soviet Union was brought into being by Jewish bankers from New York has now spread its poisoned attitudes across the United States, and like a colossal vampire, has sunk its fangs into every fiber of American life, strangling the life out of everything that is good and decent. From Einstein to Feinstein, writers, scientists, and politicians today seek to get ahead by reinforcing these same stereotypes that are killing us, and foremost among these techniques is summoning up their nightmare vision of Adolf Hitler as a symbol of dark depravity that fills us with fear. But like everything the Jews have told us during their takeover of the world, it is a lie. What happened to the Russian people is now happening to Americans, because the same super-rich and soulless Jewish bankers are running the world's show. Because what happened to Russia is now happening to America, there is no better place to examine these deadly and tragic parallels than in the work of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, whose last book 200 years together the story of the Russians and the Jews has been prevented from being published in the English language by the Jews who control the publishing industry, and by the paid-off politicians who condone such censorship. It is all to the benefit of the Jews who bribe them, who blackmail them, to betray the people they are supposed to serve. What happened in the Soviet Union is now happening here, with Jews occupying all the choke points of power, writing laws that benefit only themselves, and above all, killing non-Jews as fast as they possibly can. Relentless terror is what Stalin ordered for the Russian people, and what the American people are experiencing now. Listen to Solzhenitsyn's words, called from slash slash archive.org slash stream slash Russian and Jew slash Weylandy. On August 26, 1918 Lenin instructed by telegram, dubious persons are to be locked up in concentration camps outside of the city. Relentless mass terror is to be carried out. Tens of thousands of hostages were killed for deterrence during the 1917-1922 Civil War, with hundreds drowned at a time by sinking them on barges in the White Sea in the Arctic. Vermin were naturally the small and medium-sized farmers, the tradesmen, and all homeowners. 
it was vermin who were singing in the church choirs. By resolution of the Defense Council of February 15, 1919 the Chaika and the NKVD were instructed to seize hostages from the farmers of those areas wherever the clearing of snow drifts off the railroad tracks is not progressing satisfactorily, in this case, if the work is not done, they can be shot. People were also shot recklessly on the basis of arbitrary lists particularly academics, artists, authors, and engineers. With the regulation on forced food collection of January 1919, the farmers were also targeted. Later, in the 1930s, the mass collectivization of agriculture in Ukraine led to the death by starvation of about 6 million humans. What you read here is a preview of what is coming to America, in fact, what is already here. Any man who has not yet been flung into the sewage channel and whoever has not yet been pumped himself through the pipes into the Golag archipelago, should march about, joyfully above ground, with flags flying and bands playing, praising the courts, and expressing ecstasy over his acquittal. The general expropriation of the entire population in favor of an illusory people's property, the system of general terror, the pervasive vulnerability of every unprivileged citizen and as their consequence, arrests without measure, deportations into faraway hard labor camp regions and liquidations were an integrated and mandatory part of the state ideology of Marxism-Leninism. These historical facts must be acknowledged. As early as January 1918 there were already mass executions under martial law without any procedures or court hearings. These were followed by hundreds and later thousands of innocent hostages being seized, executed in mass nighttime shootings or loaded on ships and sunk with them aboard. Lazar Kaganovich, Jenrik Yagoda, and Vyacheslav Molotov pushed their requisition commandos out into the countryside. Soon thereafter, in 1932-33, five or six million humans died like animals of hunger in Russia and Ukraine, right on the edge of Europe but the free press of the free world maintained its perfect silence. Solzhenitsyn's description of the Gulags are an accurate description of what is about to take place in the already built U.S. FEMA camps. Make no mistake about the Gulags, they were not work-forever camps. They were work-to-death camps, designed to liquidate the occupants. Millions were sent to die in them. Solzhenitsyn tells us, however, by the computations of the emigrated statistics professor Kurganov, this relatively light suppression that ran from the beginning of the October Revolution through 1950 cost us Russians about 66 million human lives. Gulag Archipelago, P37. This is why Adolf Hitler was so intent on stopping the Red Jewish menace from Russia from invading his own country. What has been stripped from our history books was that Hitler admired the United States and Britain, because he didn't realize they had already been taken over by Jews and turned into monsters. This is the Hitler test that most Americans have utterly failed. They have obediently swallowed the Jewish propaganda and lost their country to people with no conscience, no sense of compassion, and a bloodlust that has drenched the world in tragedy for longer than anybody can really remember. In Russia, 1.7% of the population took over the whole government. In America, the percentage is about the same. The same Soviet Jews, run by New York bankers, have spawned both the neocons and the progressives. Each new law they conspire to pass is aimed at population reduction. 
Foreigners with no allegiance to anything except their own insanity are in control of everything now. Since the time of Alexander Hamilton, they never have been Americans only predators intent on controlling, robbing, and killing. Failing the Hitler test guarantees you either life in prison or an early grave. Those are the choices all Americans now face for failing the Hitler test. All those writers who misuse the false term Nazi consciously or not are on the side of those now turning the world into a giant prison, in which the dead will outnumber the living. All right. So that's the end of that. And both of these gentlemen were very Jew-wise. Know who the enemy is and what they're up to. And... Joe worked with Jim, his brother, his identical twin brother, to some degree. He was more of a reader and uh, sort of confrontational a little bit, too. But Jim is more of a presenter where he finishes up the videos and puts them up on Jim Rizzoli at BitChute. And uh, there's a Joe Rizzoli BitChute. It's where the one with the uh, where they were at the school, the elementary school came from. But, um, you know, uh, we're not replacing ourselves like the Luciferian Brotherhood. <laughs> In fact, it, it kind of kind of makes me wonder, you know, I don't know if I did my job enough. Uh, my family, we had two children, but they choose not to have any children themselves. So, you know, they've... Um, like us, we might have had two more, or might have had some more. If we hadn't been brainwashed by the fact that all this uh, overpopulation talk, which is nonsense, uh, never was. And, you know, if you look in um, Genesis uh, 2 and Genesis 5, um, there's uh, the generations rundown and shows that it goes back to 4000 BC. So then up to Christ time and now here is 6,000 years a lot can happen in a short amount of time and you, can, you have to remember there's you know things happen concurrently all around the world it's not like it's just a straight timeline for one place you know so we, we tend to think that uh, we have to go by the evolutionary standards that are they don't have standards, actually. They just use time. Oh, anything, you know, miracles can happen over time uh, to cover their baseless uh, baseless claims, actually. And um, But these two gentlemen, you know, I, they'll be missed. And like I said, read uh, John Kaminsky's work. He was a very good writer. Very good. And I think he had started out in sports writing and reporting on. And he was very good at that, too. Um, and um, what am I doing here? So, um, <laughs> well, the next one we'll get into, um, which will be after the break here. We're coming on the bottom of the hour break. And um, it, it just kind of makes me sad because so many people will talk about the preservation of the white race, but yet they don't want to grow up themselves. 
because that's what it is when you don't want to form a family. I'm sorry, that is what it is. Because you pray and ask for assistance, and the Lord will help you find a mate. And there'll be suffering and struggles all along, but it's well worth it. So um, see you after the break. tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Homeowners, if your lender has gone out of business or sold your transaction to another lender or servicer, you may be the victim of a wrongful foreclosure resulting in the loss of your home. If you've already lost your home, are in foreclosure, or even in good standing, you can challenge the mortgage transaction's illegal issue and your property can be restored to you, and your foreclosure can be stopped or reversed and the mortgage transaction declared unenforceable. State laws, U.S. title codes, the Uniform Commercial Codes, and U.S. Supreme Court rulings have upheld that defective mortgage documentations can reverse or stop foreclosures and enforce property title claims in favor of the homeowner. We are having successes in stopping the process of foreclosure, the enforcement of the foreclosure judgments, the sale of property, and evictions after the sale. We are not attorneys, and we don't give legal advice. We are a professional team of legal researchers, providing forensic mortgage audits and expert witnesses. We have the knowledge to produce the evidence and enforce laws regarding your legal issues. We've been in business for 12 years without a complaint. Consultations are free, and we provide a free title search to confirm if your mortgage has legal defects. Email tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop-and-lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop-and-lift? Our ease-off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the ease-off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease-off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jung Kay, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilajee as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilaji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilaji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilaji has been in use for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. 
All right. We're back here. And um, Prester from over in England posted the audiobook in the chat room of Solzhenitsyn's 200 Years Together, English uh, translation audiobook. Yeah. So, um, and another another chatter in here posted biglies.org, Jews, Frank Britain behind communism. <coughs> so, um, Sam, if you want to get that ready, um, oh, what number was that? Yeah, that's number four. I'm trying to have a coffin fit here. Sorry. <laughs> so Sam found this, and this is Ted Pike. <clears throat> so I'll come back after and tell you about him. <laughs> Great academies of the rabbis were established and thousands of new laws formulated. There, those same Pharisees who killed Jesus Christ remained the undisputed rulers of Judaism. In Babylon, the Pharisees codified their oral traditions into the Babylonian Talmud, the written form of that oral tradition which Jesus so bitterly rebuked. The Talmud reveals how deep was Israel's apostasy. The Talmud also helps us understand the basis for Christ's unflattering descriptions of the Pharisees. Jesus described the Pharisees as hypocrites, children of hell, blind guides, whited sepulchers, full of dead men's bones. He even described the Pharisees as children of their father, the devil, a murderer from the beginning. The Talmud confirms Christ's words. In the Talmud, in Treatise Sanhedrin, an extensive passage describes the right of the Pharisee to kill anyone, just as long as he did so indirectly. As one of dozens of examples, the Talmud tells us that if one bound his neighbor and he died of starvation, he is not liable to execution. In such an indirect manner, the Pharisees also killed Christ. Manipulating the Romans to actually wield the spear and sword, the Pharisees claimed, as their descendants do today, that since the Romans were the direct cause of the death of Christ, it is the Romans, not the Jews, who are guilty. Christ also called the Pharisees adulterers, an adulterous generation. The Talmud provides generous loopholes for adultery. It says the penalty for adultery does not include sex with a minor, the wife of a minor, or the wife of a heathen. The Talmud also encourages seduction of unwed adolescent girls called designated bondmaids. But it's important how such rapes are performed. With the designated bondmaid, one is guilty only in the case of natural connection, but not in the case of perverse connection. The Pharisees reason that rape in a perverted manner is outside the jurisdiction of the law. Normal rape, however, was punishable. In Babylon, sexual perversion of every kind had been a way of life for millenniums. The Pharisees were deeply influenced by such practices. In three of the major treatises of the Talmud are found extensive passages which give legal endorsement to seduce and marry three-year-old baby girls. In fact, many of the greatest rabbis of the Talmud, including Simeon ben Yohai, upheld this privilege. Today in Israel, thousands of Jews go to Meron every year to venerate the memory of Simeon ben Yohai, 
one of the most respected rabbis in the history of Judaism. In one of dozens of endorsements of child sex, Simeon ben Yohai said, a proselyte under the age of three years and a day is permitted to marry a priest. Agreeing with ben Yohai, the great rabbi said, when a grown-up man has intercourse with a little girl, it is nothing. Or when the girl is less than this, three years and a day, it is as if one put the finger into the eye. The footnote to this passage says, As tears come to the eye again and again, so does virginity come back to the little girl under three years. The same section confirms that sexual activity with small boys is in the same category. The intercourse of a small boy is not regarded as a sexual act. In addition to adulterers, Christ, in the story of the Good Samaritan, portrayed the Pharisees as racial bigots, too self-righteous to respond to the suffering of one who was not a Jew. It is true, because of the wickedness of the Canaanites, which included sodomy and infant sacrifice, Israel had been commanded by God to be harsh in her treatment of the inhabitants of the land. God made it clear that the Canaanites were not simply to be avoided, but destroyed. By the time of the New Testament, this method of preserving God's kingdom by separation and the sword had become obsolete. God no longer made a racial difference between men. But the Pharisees were unfazed by God's new agenda. The Talmud was finally written down nearly five centuries after Christ. Yet its critical, even homicidal attitudes toward Gentiles might have been lifted out of the book of Joshua. However, the quickest way to grasp the Talmudic view of Gentiles is not directly from the Talmud, but from the Jewish encyclopedias. If we quote an isolated opinion from the Talmud, a rabbi may quickly object, saying, but that is not the overall opinion of the Talmud. That is not the definitive view. What the Jewish encyclopedia provides us is a definitive overview of perhaps hundreds of rabbinic statements on any subject giving us accurate summaries of what the Talmud generally teaches. In its article on Gentiles, the Jewish encyclopedia begins to define what makes a Jew so different from a Gentile. According to the rabbis, only Israelites are men. Gentiles they class not as men, but as barbarians. Since Gentiles are not men in the fullest sense, so the Gentile is not a neighbor of a Jew. Further, since Gentile laws were too crude to admit of reciprocity, meaning too crude to be taken seriously, the Gentile was forever beneath the Jew. Gentiles were outlawed by God from the beginning and thus had no property rights. The Almighty offered the Torah to the Gentile nations also, but since they refused to accept it, he withdrew his shining legal protection from them and transferred their property rights to Israel, who observed his law. Since the Talmud outlawed the child, or issue of a Gentile, as that of a beast, a Gentile had as little legal rights in a Jewish court as did an animal. The Talmud states that if a Gentile sue an Israelite, the verdict is for the defendant, the Israelite. Conversely, if the Israelite is the plaintiff, he obtains full damages. Because the Talmud conspires against Gentiles, if a Jew was ever caught telling a Gentile what the Talmud really says, such a person deserves death. So vile was the nature of a Gentile that the great Simeon ben Yohai said 
the best among the Gentiles deserves to be killed. The best of snakes ought to have its head crushed. Jews, however, are exalted beings in the Talmud, worthy of praise. Christ described the Pharisee who blessed himself, saying, I thank thee, Lord, that I am not as other men. An eminent Talmudic rabbi says the same. Blessed be thou who hast not made me a goy or Gentile. There is a special antagonism between the Talmud and Jesus. The Talmud attacks him everywhere it can, even his mother. Mary, the Talmud says, was a whore who mated with carpenters. She who was the descendant of princes and governors played the harlot with carpenters. It naturally followed that the scribes declared Christ to be a bastard. In its article on Jesus, the Jewish encyclopedia says that Jewish writings defame Christ. It is the tendency of all these sources to belittle the person of Jesus by ascribing to him illegitimate birth, magic, and a shameful death. Jesus, according to this article, was considered one of the three worst enemies of Judaism who came to an ignoble end. The Talmud says they subjected him to four deaths, stoning, burning, decapitation, and strangling. The Talmud also says he is now in hell, punished with boiling hot excrement. What is Christ's advice as he speaks to us out of hell? The Jewish Encyclopedia quotes Jesus as telling us above all to bless the Jews. He says, Further their well-being. Do nothing to their detriment. Whoever touches them touches even the apple of his eye. Christians, as followers of the false prophet Jesus, also deserve death. The Jewish Encyclopedia again recaps the Talmud's position. A Gentile observing the Sabbath deserves death. The testimony of a Christian was not admitted in evidence in Jewish courts, and an Israelite who found anything belonging to one who was a Christian was forbidden to return it to him. The Pharisees, through their Talmud, thus gave the Jews an ethic which encouraged bigotry and isolation. But it did worse than that. It invited persecution. By the 11th century, the inhabitants of Babylon, growing weary of the self-righteousness and dishonesty of the Jews, expelled them to the West. That's part of our faith. They had to read uh, the Bible, the Torah. And that carried the Jewish people as a unique people, people of the book, as we called it. The people of the book not only knew the book, they could read the book. The capacity to ask questions, which is what the Talmudic tradition did across Jewish communities. It never defined the end of knowledge. It never put an exclamation mark on truth. It was constantly questioning, expanding, growing, exchanging between communities, between great scholars and their students. It never ended. It was always iterative. This culture exploded when the walls of the ghetto went down. This same tradition, this same culture is part of us. It's deeply ingrained in our culture, in our thinking, in our traditions. Israel's fight is our fight. We are one. We are united. We will not be discouraged. We will not be defeated. We will not be intimidated. We will not sit down. We will not be silent. We are the worst nightmare of the anti-Semites of the world. The victory is going to be ours.
Okay, thank you, Sam. Yeah, you know, and I'm thinking about the correlations here, how we all work to, together, kind of. Um, truthtellers.org is Ted Pike's site, and uh, he has the National Prayer Network. And there, you can read about his, his wonderful, beautiful wife and what happened with her. Talk about thoughts and demons. Um, <clears throat> actually, he when it, he was in his 20s and working on um, uh, translating something, and he was bothered by demons. Well, they infested Ellen, and um, uh, they said she needed brain surgery. And I wondered about that four-hour brain surgery. I wondered, hmm, who were her doctors, right? So after it got worse off and on, and uh, I think it just opened the gateway for them even more. And they don't ask permission. But she eventually, they lived in Portland, Oregon. I think he's still there. She uh, went to the bridge and jumped off. Finally got relief from the demon. Yeah. So um, uh, this, um, the other Israel is probably where that came from, that part of the video. And he'd also written a book called The Other Israel. But what I was saying about how we end up working together, um, E. Michael Jones' friend, Peter Helland, and you can find him on BitChute, H-E-L-L-A-N-D. And he uh, worked, I guess, in the prison handing out books from the library and came across The Other Israel, the title of this book, right? And so he named his, um, his site and his works The Other Israel. And that refers to the people. You know, Israel isn't a land like they're claiming. It's people. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And the descendants, which are spread throughout, you know, um, not a bad thing to have some is Israel, Israelite Christian blood, you know. What is bad is um, if you have to think you have to follow the Talmud and let the demons persist in doing your thinking for you. We're always talking about thinking here. So, um, I think, I think we, um, you know, I'd like to go back and get number three here because this is someone we haven't lost yet, thankfully. Another one of our elders, Ursula Haverbeck, and she spent time in jail. Um, because she was reading from books about how they kept the work camps, how chefs could be fired if they didn't keep the nutrients in the food, like I said when E. Mike was here, and and um, just different things. They were, you know, it wasn't at all. Now, maybe some of the camps were worse, um, I guess, where these Catholic priests were, Dachau. Um, they, you know, since they were forced into war, uh, they ended up letting some of the criminals out of the um, jails to run some of the prisons, so, some of the camps. So, uh, but most of the camps were actually the.
All right. I'm back here. My computer kicked me off. <laughs> Had to restart the adapter. Um, so um, I don't know how much uh, came through before it dropped me here. But um, okay, good. I did get that far. Yeah, Ursula Haberbeck in her 90s, spent time in jail, but they finally dismissed her case. And we still have her with us, thank goodness. So yeah, if you'll pay, play number three there, uh, it's almost nine minutes. The purpose of this thesis is not to address alleged events that some call the Holocaust. There is an overwhelming amount of information out there that does that. In fact, I would argue that there is so much information out there which provide an abundant amount of facts which contradict such an event occurred that it would be very hard for any honest researcher to conclude a Holocaust happened after objectively reviewing the evidence against it. What I am addressing here is the very loosely defined and ever-changing definition of what this event actually is and how people's human rights are being violated all over the world to bring up evidence that challenges this alleged event some call a holocaust. I will examine the legitimacy of such laws which have, in the worst cases, imprisoned many people and, in other instances, humiliated them publicly, destroyed their careers, and or uh, they had become victims of abuse, harassment, threats, and then sometimes uh, physically beaten. In most circumstances, these people have been authors, professors, researchers, or, as in the recent case of Ursula Haberbeck, just a German grandma and patriotic German who simply wanted an official acknowledgement from the German government uh, that Germany was responsible for the deaths of six million people and where these atrocities took place. She painstakingly questioned top military, government, academic, and every other person or official that would have an answer. And no one in Germany could give her an answer. So she did the next logical thing any honest patriot of a nation would do. She began a campaign to educate Germans about her findings and felt Germany should be absolved from any more guilt about this so-called Holocaust put on them in the last 70 years. Think about this for a minute. A grandma can't get an answer from any official government source or any academic source about the biggest crime of the century that this very same country is accused of? This is unprecedented, absolutely unreal to logically attempt to make sense of. Of course, a complete media blackout about this, unless it's to attack her as if she's wrong or she's bad, treating her like a villain when she deserves an award for heroic efforts that she has accomplished here. Instead, she sits in prison at 90 years old for the crime of asking her government where 6 million people were murdered in their name. Unreal. Shocking and absolutely disgusting. Listen to this grandma and ask yourself if she deserves being in prison for what she says here. So I want to tell the British people that in Germany... Nobody at the time knows where the six million Jews were killed by the Germans. They all know that this still is the most terrible crime that ever happened in history done by the Germans. But if you have such a big crime and can't tell us where it happened, it doesn't have any place. 
then this can't be a real fact because every crime where you kill just one but even six millions must have a place where it happened but uh, I myself have asked all the institutes that could know it even the central of the Jews in Germany and all the judges and so on but nobody could tell me and answer me within five years and after five years questioning all over the Bundesrepublik I told the Minister for Justice if he now could arrange an open discussion where it happened I got no answer even from him from all the others I even get got any answer, never. Not one group or institute or minister or lawyer did answer. Well, so is that the end of that, I guess? Oh, oh, it's the end of the hour. <laughs> yep. See you on the other side, folks. sick of censorship? TLB Talk is the cure. TLB stands for truth, liberty, and balance. We are the newest and most unique social media platform to hit the internet. We were built out of necessity because Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Brother are out of control. The only thing bigger than them is when we the people are united. With that vision, TLB Talk was born. Our battlefield is in cyberspace. The battle we're in can be won by clicks of buttons and voting with your wallet. TLB Talk has no hidden agendas, no corporate funding, and we do not sell, trade, or give away any of your information. Our platform runs off of generous donations of members and merchandise profits. So please, check out our site. It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at TLBTalk.com and join the social media revolution. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network.